Kings of the Podcast, episode 32. Dennis Bernstein, it should be episode 55. Play the kids. Either one, we could have gone with those headlines. Yes, the debut of Quentin Byfield last night, John. An, an epic, hopefully, milestone in the history of this kid. And yes, play the kids. But uh, let's get to this episode. One of the things I love about Twitter DB would be the questions that come in. And my favorite tweet today was the guy who was asking for analytics on Byfield's first game. I, 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 that just made me chuckle, DB. It's like... <laughs> I mean, you have to start somewhere, right? You have to get a sample size going, so. but yeah, I'm sorry, people. No, we have not pulled the analytics yet from Byfield's first game. So uh, we will have we to. Could, we could go to natural stat trick and go to individuals and pull the, the Corsi for and the high danger of chances for. <laughs> but we're going to hold off. I, At least a game two, John. I had to get ready for this show, Dennis. I didn't have time to get to that. Sorry. But we will be talking plenty about Quentin Byfield and his NHL debut, what it means, what it doesn't mean, how many games he's expected to play, when he'll play next. We have a whole segment uh, coming up on Byfield, so stick around, everybody. I'm sure you'll appreciate it. Today, though, Dennis, we are coming to you from the Nathan Lafayette studio here in beautiful Southern California, where, Dennis, I don't know about up at your house, but it's 95 degrees today at my house, and it's crazy. We still have a month of the NHL season left. It's 90 in Encino today, John, so I'm, I'm feeling the heat as well. All right, so just like the Kings and the Ducks, uh, they're feeling the heat here. The race is on for where they finish in the Pacific Division. Uh, but you might be wondering who Nathan Lafayette is, Dennis, I'm assuming, because you didn't you didn't bite on that one. No, I, I know Nathan Lafayette. I think he played in the 90s uh, centerman, I believe center and winger, a forward. Well, here's the thing. Uh, speaking of tweets, somebody tweeted me last night, as you saw the Kings dancing around the ice in those absolutely gorgeous 90s retro jerseys. Uh, Leah Anderson was out there in number 24, and somebody tweeted me, hey, seeing that 24 Kings Gretzky era jersey out there reminded me of Nathan Lafayette. And uh, the person who tweeted that said, maybe he'll be the name of the studio. So there you go. You get your, you get your wish. He is the name of the studio. And Dennis, he probably... Uh, is best remembered, at least by diehard Kings fans, I would say, as being part of the 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 best uh, trade that Sam McMaster, mm-hmm. uh, he had a different name at the time, but Sam McMaster, <laughs> <laughs> McMaster, uh, when he was the general manager of Elliott, what a hell of a trade. He sends Marty McSorley and Yari Curry. This is in March of 96, uh, after basically Gretzky had been traded to the St. Louis Blues. Uh, so the Rangers were able to get Shane Churla, Yari Curry, and Marty McSorley. And in exchange, they sent back to Los Angeles Ray Ferraro, Nathan Lafayette, Ian LaPerriere, Matty Nordstrom, and a fourth-round draft pick. And, of course, uh, with all due apologies to Ray Ferraro and, and, and Nathan Lafayette uh, and uh, Sean Blanchard, who was eventually selected with that fourth-round pick, really that uh, trade was really all about 
Lappy and Maddie yeah. Nordstrom. And uh, yeah. what a hell of a deal to be able to get Maddie Nordstrom, who ended up being the captain for a long time in Los Angeles. And then uh, Ian LaPerriere, who still is beloved by LA Kings fans. And he's with the Flyers now. But someday, you know, some of us remain hopeful that uh, the Kings will bring him home and that he will rejoin the L.A organization TV. Yeah, great guy. I remember when um, he scored a hat trick here. It's one of the first articles I ever wrote. And um, his dad was going through pancreatic cancer at the time. So just a, a really good guy who has done really nice things in Philly. But I agree with you, John. Uh, um, he would like to see it would nice. To, it would be nice to see Lappy come home. Uh, I will also tell you this, Dennis. I'm not sure if you remember, but the very first ever Mayor's Manor podcast, which is going back probably about 10 years ago now, uh, Lappy was the very first guest ever to come on Mayor's Manor, and it was a, it was a, there was a reason for that, and uh, I'm happy that we did it. We had a great time talking with Lappy, and you know, I was thinking uh, coming into the show today, Lappy used to be such a great resource for Mayor's Manor because of his connection to the Flyers, and then all of those former Flyers that ended up coming, Mike Richards and Jeff right. Carter, and we had so many great lappy articles where we would just you know basically call him up and get information and he would tell us about what had happened with carter and 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 richards when they were there and he would talk about them and other players and uh he he was almost like a scout for uh mayor's manor with the number of articles we were able to get out of him through the years it was fantastic yeah just a, a really great man to deal with him during his playing days here were just it's one of the first guys i, I learned to to connect with and respect and uh uh, just to wish him the best no matter what he does. But I, I agree with you. He he always have, have a home in La Hero San Jose. He's got a, a really big fan base. Absolutely. And, of course, he went on to play with the Colorado Avalanche as well and uh, finished his playing time with the Philadelphia Flyers and is now an assistant coach in the organization. Just a, a good dude. Um, he also served in development there for a while as well and uh, was beating the drum of Sean Couturier when, uh, when I spoke to him about player development many, many years ago. But, hey, uh, last night, back to the jerseys, DB, those beautiful 90s heritage jerseys. And I feel almost weird saying this because I, I was I don't want to say I was throwing cold water on all the people that were getting worked up over the reverse retro all season. But all of the people that were saying, you know, these should be their regular jerseys and on and on and on. It's like, OK, guys, you know, yeah, they're beautiful, but the, the Kings are not going to go through a complete rebrand they have sort of decided on their colors black white silver those are their colors they've spent a lot of time energy effort money to brand those colors and whatnot and uh so so i just i, I never really bought into it and engaged the discussion much but i will tell you dennis looking at those gretzky era jerseys on the ice there last night i i was just struck how gorgeous and how beautiful they are and i i tweeted this that I guess I just sort of forgot because when you look at the Ontario rain, they're basically wearing the same jerseys, right. although it has the, the black in the shield instead of the silver. I don't know. There's just something about it when it says Kings on the front of it and it has that silver. Those jerseys popped last night, Dennis. Yeah, that's the word you use. But, and John, I'm not a jersey hunk like you. They're gorgeous jerseys. They really are. That, that should be the home jersey. Look, and we talked about you know switching from dark to white with respect to home teams, but that is just... Just a beautiful jersey. If I was a jersey hunk, I would buy one. That would be the one I would buy. It. No disrespect to the form blue and gold, but but those are gorgeous jerseys. You're 100 percent right. Yeah, and I think that's really what it boils down to, Dennis. Is that you know you can like the purple and gold or the form blue and gold, and you can like the retros or the originals or any version thereof, or even an, a version that hasn't been created yet. I just don't see the Kings going back to any sort of a purple and gold configuration. No. I believe their primary colors are are black, white, and silver going forward, and they'll save the purple and whatnot for the specialty jerseys. So if you want to talk about what the jerseys should be, to me, it's more about those 90s, 90s uh, heritage right. jerseys or the current jerseys as perhaps 
the jerseys that should be discussed. I guess you could also include those um, uh, black and white ones from the early Staples Center days. But the Twitter poll that went out last night, Dennis, was really about this. Uh, and I, I did specifically say in there, uh, you know, save your purple and gold replies. It's which color jerseys would you prefer that the Kings wear at home? And this had nothing to do with which version of black or which right. version of white they went with. Pick any era that you want. But it's basically because in the uh, in the 91-92 season, Dennis, which was a long, long time ago, I think the NHL did it right back then. That season, the NHL, they wore half black for uh, half the season, or not half black, but they wore black for half the season, and then they wore white for the other half of the season, and basically they flipped it at the All-Star break. So you, as a, as a season ticket holder or you know, as your local home team, you would get to see both of your team's jerseys throughout the season in the home building rather than just all of one color. Uh, after that, they basically wore white at home forever until the uh, early 2000s, of course, because they opened Staples Center wearing the white jerseys, but then they eventually mm -hmm. switched to where black was the uh, the home color, and that's what they've been wearing recently is all you know black at home and then the white on the road and that's been throughout the league as well and uh so i wanted to know what the fans wanted and dennis it was 59 percent which was actually more than i expected 59 percent said they like wearing the black at home really? and 41 percent said the whites and i don't know if it's just because i'm tired of seeing the blacks and you know mm -hmm. I, i'm ready for something new i don't know what it is or it's just those particular jerseys but Man, go back to some white jerseys at home or go back to 91, 92. That's really the best of all worlds, right? We're half the season in white and we're half the season in black. Yeah, I like that. And I just think it's recency bias because I couldn't agree with you. Last night, that's such a classic look clean that the numbers aren't that big. The letters aren't that big with respect to names on the back. I just think it was such a classic look. Maybe it's because we haven't seen them in such a long time. I just think like, wow, that really, really it resonated with me. And like you said, I'm not I'm not the honk that you are with respect to jerseys, but I did love that look last night. I agree with you. Yeah, it was certainly something beautiful uh, to behold. It was it was the 03, 04 season, which I think would have been about five years into four or five years into Staples Center when they decided to go uh, and flip it. So they've been wearing the blacks at home now for for basically 15 years. 15 and so years, yeah. for a league who likes to mix things up and keep you on your toes, now is the time to to jump in and do that NHL if you're listening. So 59 percent preferred black it wasn't like an overwhelming 90 percent number uh it was you know nine percent away from being a a close split there we did uh one other poll dennis um which coming into this we wanted to hear from from the fans and uh that that particular poll had more to do with the call-ups who do you want the next call-up right. to be it for the la kings now uh, dennis they have used i guess we should probably set the table here a little bit they sure. have used three of their four allowable call-ups and there was a little bit of confusion. We talked about this on the last episode. Leas Anderson initially came up as a uh, an emergency call-up. So he didn't count right. the first time when he came up on Saturday, but he didn't play. And so then now he is official, uh, you know, that he he did play. And it was an official call-up as well. And so they, their first call-up was Kale Clegg. Their second call-up uh, would have been Byfield. And their third call-up would have been... Um, uh, Leas Anderson. So now they've right. used three call-ups. They have one call-up remaining. And, you know, you could almost make the case for any number of different people. Uh, when you do a Twitter poll, there's only room for four spots on there, Dennis. So you could, uh, you could certainly add to this list if you would like to. Um, but I said, hey, uh, fans, do you want to hear from, or excuse me, do you want to see, who do you want to see called up? Alex Turcott, Akil Thomas, Sammy Fagamo, Sean Dersey. Now, I will just quickly tell you, Dennis, I left two guys off of there. Uh, which would be Rasmus Kapari and Kaliev, only because those two have already received a call-up. Call, it doesn't make right. them ineligible. They they certainly could sure. be 
and, and heck, Kaliev is leading the, the Ontario reigning goals and points. So, I mean, you, you know, maybe you want to give it to him. Maybe he's earned it. Uh, and Kapari has been, uh, you know, phenomenal for the reign this year as well. But I picked those four guys as the most likely. And I have to tell you, DB, I was rather surprised. Um, it was a runaway. Who do you think four. the fans went with? Turcotte. They, they did 51%, 51% of the people said Turcotte. I guess I was only surprised by that because if you've been watching or paying attention at all, uh, I, I thought that you would have, that the fans, not you, but the people would have maybe gone a different direction. Um, not that people- What direction? Well, not that they have a reason to sour on Turcotte, but just, you know, he's missed a little bit of time. He's been injured, yeah. you know, this and that. And I just thought maybe people would say, hey, he's not quite ready or whatever. I thought maybe some logic or some ration, rational thinking would have gone into it. And instead, I think people were just more like, hey, he's one of the top prospects. You know, he's right there one and two. And that's the guy that we want to see. Uh, or maybe I was just thinking with my own head, because for me, I would probably go with Akil Thomas over Alex Turcotte not just because I've said many times in the program he's the most interesting prospect, but the guy has done it all down there this year from power play to PK. He's played up and down the lineup, center wing. I mean, he's just, he has been amazing in my eyes. And I've also heard Robo talk him up quite a bit throughout the season as well. So I, I just think that Kiel Thomas, I, I would have liked to have seen the voting a little closer is all I'm really saying. Uh, but but Turcotte ran away with it at 51%. Akil did come in second at 24%. Semi Fagamo at 18%. And uh, unfortunately, Sean Dersey, only 6%. I will say this, though, Dennis. I actually agree. I think that of those four candidates, I think Dersey has the longest odds only because mm -hmm. they've already called up a number so of defensemen. defensemen, right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my only thinking there. Do you have uh, – I know you want to play the kids and you want to play them all, but do you have a preference uh, between – I'll give you all six between uh, – I, I know I did vote in the poll. Oh, who'd you I vote voted, for? I voted for Turcotte. Okay, and, and, <laughs> so it's your think, fault. Yeah, it's totally my fault. I, I think the – question john is is this recall a reward for this season or is it a developmental thing because there's only nine games if there were like 20 games left i could see like okay this is a developmental thing who do you want up here and i think just the i'll call it the fantasy of possibly playing turcotte on byfield on the same line with whoever you want to play good on the right wing I, I think that appeals to the fans as well i, I think it i agree with you i think it's a much more emotional selection with respect to the fans because a, you, you, he is a left wing. He's playing on the left wing right now. B, you can play him with Byfield, and that'd be nice to see. Um, and he's the fifth overall pick um, from a couple seasons ago. So I think for all those reasons, that's why he got the majority of the votes. Yeah, he, uh, look, I, I, I want to just say right out of the gate, though, so that people don't try to misinterpret it. I'm not saying that Turcotte shouldn't be in the conversation. He absolutely right. should for all the reasons that you just said. Um, I, I guess I just would have maybe liked to have seen a little bit more love for Akil Thomas. Uh, sure. Back to Turcotte, though, he he was playing on the left wing, Dennis. He now has been moved back to center here over the last couple of games. However, I will share something interesting. When I was talking to Byfield the other day, I had asked him about chemistry with certain players in Ontario, and the line that really seemed to click, in my eyes at least, was when Byfield was at center and Turcotte was on his left and Kaliev was off on his right. And when I asked Byfield about it, he indicated that he had a lot of chemistry with Kaliev and then the other guy that he mentioned, and I even served up the Turcotte-Kaliev uh, combination, sure. but he deferred instead to Kaliev and Martin Furk, which I thought was interesting because both of those mm -hmm. guys have more similarities than, than Turcotte would in the sense that they're snipers. Right. And so, right. you know, there's just maybe a little bit of a, uh, a slice into Byfield's brain in the way that it works. He wants a sniper out there on the wing and he liked having two of them in, uh, in Martin <laughs> Furk and Arthur Kaliev. So it'll be interesting to see sort of how things move forward. Uh, but yeah, if you were able to get Turcotte up here, uh, I would say certainly put him on the same line with Byfield and 
let the fans run wild with uh, with those two being on the same line for a couple of games. Hey, you want to look, John, create some excitement around the team here. The last nine games stand to be not so exciting. So I, I think that and not only that, and I was on Sirius XM earlier today and I, I said it like when you got 1500 people in the building, right, you got to create excitement for next season. And, and that would be one way to do it. So, look, when I tweet play the kids half the time I'm doing it with my, my tongue and my cheek. It, it's just to, to poke at people and stuff like that. But I think what I you think, mean, Dennis, is with a flamethrower and a torch in your hand. Is but but go ahead. Yes, <laughs> you know me too long, John. Uh, too long. This relationship has gone way too long. I just think you want to create some excitement because, John, remember, you're not going to have that seven game winning streak for, at the end of last season to leverage on this season. So, what can you do to create some excitement? Not even for the team, but for the fans as well to, to get them back in the building. I think that would be, you know, one of the reasons to to, to talk about. A Turka to get some excitement in the building or just on TV or just uh, some chatter around the team. I think that's the best way you can go about it uh, in the nine remaining games, short of them winning the last nine, which since they're playing Colorado four and St. Louis one, that's not going to happen. Well, I will uh, tell you something interesting to build off of that DB. And I was talking with somebody uh, connected to the Kings just the other day before Byfield was making his debut. And I said, uh, wow, I'm a little bit surprised that, you know, Leas Anderson got the call up at the same time. I just had, had expected these sort of sprinkle these, you know, these call-ups to be sprinkled sure. in a little bit more um, and and sort of why now? And one of the phrases that was used was something along the lines of, yeah, just trying to pump a little bit of excitement into the team right now. So the organization didn't like what they saw, even in coming off of that win in the first game against yep. the Ducks on Monday night, just it was a little bit of a lifeless win, if that makes any sense at all. And, uh, the you know, another stat there, Dennis, that I tweeted out last night, the Kings haven't won back-to-back games since February it's been two months since they've won back-to-back games which I had to triple check it because it just doesn't yeah. seem to make sense to me well plus John you're seeing who's being scratched out of the games now it, it's things are changing and I think it's you know we can and John, I want to bring up one guy if I can right now yeah and it's a guy that I've been targeting all season and people think I've been unfair that power play goal last night for Velarde Mm-hmm. It wasn't the goal. It was his reaction after scoring the goal. Yeah. To me, that really, I was kind of shocked. He hadn't scored in 23 games, basically hadn't scored in two months. It wasn't It wasn't a garbage goal in the 6-1 game. There was virtually no reaction from the guy scoring a goal for the first time in two months. Mm-hmm. He just sat there. He had like a kind of a glazed look on his face, and, and I'm not sure what's going on with the player, but from, if it was me and I hadn't scored two months and the expectations were all here – I would have had that monkey. I would have thrown that monkey <laughs> off my back. Yeah. <laughs> I would have had some sort of relief or something or joy or something. Now, the flip side of that, John, is and, and you can address you can give your, your thoughts after this. I think the presence of Byfield takes a huge weight off of Velarde's shoulders because now all the attention is going to go to Q for mm-hmm. the rest of the season. Yep. And maybe, you know, Gabe can just just go and do his thing and be great in these last nine games and just build towards next season. But to see no reaction from a player who is under pressure and finally scores a goal, to me that that's to be frank, that's troublesome. It was interesting, and uh, and not to not to take away from what you're saying, but Gabe's body language has been bothering me or concerning me for quite yeah. some time. I know I tweeted about it a month or so ago, and we had talked yeah, about it did. briefly at the time, and we just unfortunately haven't really had a chance to talk much about 
Velarde since then because like you said he hasn't been uh very involved offensively and uh yeah the body language is strange it's weird Gabe is a very normally sort of happy-go-lucky kind of guy and and just yeah. sort of takes things in stride but he is um he's also someone who's very introspective he's very very hard on himself and uh you can clearly see that this season is is wearing on him he, he's wearing yeah. it and he's he's it's eating at him so uh, I think you bring up a great point though also Dennis that having QB around is going to take a lot of the limelight off of Gabe um Unfortunately, I'm not sure if there really is a way to take the limelight off of Gabe, though, because anytime he's not in the 2C spot, there are questions. You know, right. why is Velarde the 3C? Why is Velarde the wing? Why is Velarde on the fourth line? Why is Velarde scratched? It's like, you know, you almost wish that they would put him at the 2C and then just let QB come in and play 3C. But then right. if, if QB was to score or have a good night, it's just going to, again, ask more Velarde questions like, why is, you know, Velarde at the 2C and QB at the 3C? So, um, Maybe you put those two guys together. I, I, I've, I can argue it. I've argued it in my head both ways. There are advantages to putting them together, yeah. and there are advantages to keeping them separate. But um, it certainly is going to make for an interesting offseason. Quinton Byfield is not eligible to go back to the uh, AHL next year. He's either OHL or NHL, NHL next right. season. I think he's an NHL player. I think he'll be in the NHL next year. I would be utterly shocked if they sent him back to the Ontario League. I don't think that was ever the plan. Uh, and I, and I think that he's, he's basically closed the book on that by what he's done over the second half of the American league, uh, uh, season. So, um, still a big believer in Gabe. He is tremendous. People have a tendency to only know Gabe Velarde from his time in Los Angeles. They don't really know the true dominant player that he was at the junior level. Somebody needs to work with Gabe Velarde or a group of people need to work with Gabe Velarde this summer and get him back on track. And if you get Velarde clicking and you get Byfield clicking, this team can really do a lot of damage next year. And uh, look, if if QB was here all year, Dennis, I don't think there would be as much pressure on Velarde to perform because the pressure would be spread out among multiple lines or multiple right. people instead of all yep. falling on Gabe's shoulders. Because as Todd said the other day, after the Kopitar line, it pretty much does all fall on Gabe. Yeah, it does. It, and that's the expectations were there. And, and it was, look, it was a big ass, John. I mean, retrospectively... 10 games in like to you you play 10 games you score seven points are you really ready to man the 2c like mm -hmm. the talent's there but the it done we've learned it's not just about talent right mm -hmm. it's about approach it's about you know your, your approach to the game off the ice on the ice what's important I, I you keep you know we both keep going back to the comment about face-offs not being important um i, I agree with you I, I think it's just the, the mental approach to the game needs to change and and maybe maybe seeing the way because the one thing i loved about byfield last night john he was so aggressive like he could have scored the two shots that gibson made big saves on quentin out of the box played 17 minutes and was aggressive right he made some mistakes of course it's the first game in the expectations weren't there just i i just liked his approach to the game in his first game mm -hmm. I, I just think it was totally professional I'm not saying that game's unprofessional it, it's a different type of player and a different type of attitude how about that third period i mean if you just if you play yeah. more games like he did in the third period this guy's gonna he's gonna score a lot of goals dennis he had yeah. so many looks he was so quick uh to the pucks last night so aggressive in that third period yes. Um, he just he was he was into it in the third he period. Yeah, you could tell. John, on a team that is so hesitant to shoot the puck. Yeah. Give me a guy that just wants to shoot the puck, ask questions later, like worry about the coverage later. 
Like, to me, that's what this team needs. A guy that's like shoot first mentality. They don't really have that. And I get it. There are a lot of differential players on the team. But this one, I was really, really impressed without going overboard because there's certainly work to do. But that was, look, when Todd put you in 17 minutes for your first game, because I went back to Velarde's first game. I think he paid 10 or 11 minutes. That much time, 167% of his faceoffs. Yeah, the expectations, are, good or bad, are now going to go through. If he continues the next nine games like this, John, yeah, I agree with you. And yet, at some point in time, you do explore if you want to put Gabe on the right wing because that might be a dynamic comb- you know, combination as well. Well, it certainly is a different approach because I remember McClellan right here on Kings of the Podcast pushing back uh, the week heading into training camp when we suggested that the Velarde line was the second line on paper. And he was like, no, the Velarde line really is the third line. And, you know, it, Velarde was going to have to play his way into the 2C. It is one game, but he did give QB... Uh, second line minutes and played those 17 minutes. He played them on the power play, PK, everything like you said. Uh, but Dennis, you mentioned the next nine games coming up. So just to clarify for everybody, Quentin Byfield does have the ability to play up to six games. Doesn't mean he will play, but he can play mm-hmm. up to six games. If he plays a seventh, they will burn the entry-level contract. They're not doing that. Blake is already on record. We've already covered it numerous times, including here on the podcast. They're not going to do that. So he's going to play five of the next nine games, up to five of the next nine games. McClellan did confirm after morning skate today that he is going to play Friday. I don't have any inside intel when I mentioned this to you, DB. My expectation, though, is that he's going to be with the team whether he plays or not, I think he's going to stay with the team most likely up until they leave for Colorado. And the reason for that is this, if you just sort of follow the logic, it has to do with those call-up rules that we talked about on the last episode. That if you were to send him back down, like let's say he just played the next five in a row and then they sent him back down, they right. can't recall him again because once you send him down, then that com- uh, completes or concludes that call-up. And so he wouldn't be able to be used again where if you kind of spread it out up until the time that he plays that game, then he can go down uh, over the final uh, couple of games. Excuse me, if he goes down, they would never need to recall him once they go to Colorado because they would be done. Once they leave to go to Colorado, they're going to play two games there in their season. That is, the Kings' season is over. However, if they leave him behind when they go to Colorado, there are two games remaining on the regular schedule for the Ontario Reign, and he can play in both of those games. I can tell you I've confirmed that is the plan that he is going to go back down to Ontario. They haven't given me the time frame, but it, he is going to go back down. And then he would be eligible for the postseason as well. We're going to talk about the AHL postseason in just a minute, but I wanted to at least give you an opportunity. I know you were active on Twitter last night, making your pitch to burn the ELC, <laughs> burn the place down. You had your blowtorch out. So anything you want to say about the ELC? I, I would, well, not about the ELC in a second, but I would like to see Quentin get a taste of Nathan McKinnon. I'd like to see him get one game against him to see what the expectations are, what the the platinum standard is in this league and next season, what he expects to go through if he's going to be with the team. With respect to the ELC, John. Hey, hold on. Can I jump in there, DB? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, John. I'm actually going to give you my prediction right here. And again, no inside intel. I did not ask anybody this specific of a question, um, but I was saying this to, uh, to Dooley the other day, Zach Dooley from LA Kings Insider. This is my prediction. I think that he's going to, for his five games, I think he'll play the next two against Anaheim. I think he'll mm-hmm. play one against Arizona, one against St. Louis, and one against Colorado for the exact reason that you just mentioned. It gives yeah. him the opportunity to play a couple of the quote-unquote lesser teams, kind of ease him in a little bit, but then also give him a taste of Colorado. 
open his eyes, scare the hell out of him, and give him a taste of what he's going to need to work on over the summer. And so in his six games total, you basically are showing him a myriad of different teams and styles and looks and whatnot. And uh, you can accomplish that without having to put him on a plane and sending him back to Colorado, I believe. And you space out the games as well. So he's not playing that compacted schedule, mm-hmm. which is another thing. So he's he, we forget he's 18 years old. So to give him a break between teams, to study some video, practice time, as limited as it may be. Okay. With respect to the ELC, I went to an independent source today, John. Okay. And as people know from time to time, I co host on uh, Sirius XM, the power play. Brian Burke was on. And I gave Brian the hypothetical question about a player like Byfield because he doesn't obviously manage Byfield about what he would do with respect to, you know, having this shorter time frame, having six games, going to seventh, burning the ELC. And to everyone's enjoyment, I'm sure, John, Brian Burke said, I would slide him. I would not burn the first year on the ELC. So there, there's a guy who knows way more than me saying that he's not. And I had, to, I had, you know, I had to shit disturb John. Well, I had Brian but, Burke, but DB, I, I appreciate you asking the question to Brian Burke, one of the most accomplished general managers. So there you go. Yeah. Berkey could have had fun with you and said, "What the hell? I don't care. It's not my budget. Burn it. Let's go." Yeah, and then, but John, then he made a point of saying, "Des, I want to be clear, like." I'm not talking about Byfield specifically. <laughs> I'm talking about because he can't. That would be tampering. He doesn't want any tampering, right? Conception. He goes. I would always send the. Well, he said I would always send the player back when you could send players back. He goes. I would not burn the first year of an ELC. This mm-hmm. is so the last go, so. minute of play in the period. It doesn't make sense, Dennis. At this point, uh, you would be burning the first year of the ELC essentially for four games because remember they have nine left. He can play in five, so the math is four. You're not going to burn the first year of the ELC for four rather meaningless games in the sense that they could win those four games and it's not going to send them in the playoffs. It doesn't really matter. So um, I think so. I mean, I have to check with Adrian Kempe and check the math on that, but I don't believe even with Swedish math that the Kings are. I used are... Swedish math on the show today, John. <laughs> did you? It's great. It's like, yes, I did. About, I think it was about, I forget which, maybe Arizona or something like this. Still yeah. I was like, well, you know, on our podcast, we use uh, Swedish math terminology. So that's uh, the Swedish math says they're still in it, but they're, they're really not. But the best thing about it, though, Dennis, just to wrap up the first period, we do have Brock Faber on the other side in the second period. But the funny thing about it is that of all of the remaining teams, basically the Kings, they're in the quote unquote best position outside of uh, St. Louis just because uh, their tragic number is better than all of the other teams. So even though people look at them and they go, oh, they're seventh in the standings and they're really close to eighth. Yeah, but mathematically, because of the way the runway, they have they have more runway than uh, they actually are in a much better position. But uh, it is unfortunate. It'll be very interesting to see what happens with these next two games, Dennis. The good news is the Kings are going to be wearing the heritage jerseys both Friday night and Saturday night in Anaheim. Quentin Byfield is in for Friday. We'll have to see how that plays out on Saturday. And if he does go in the back to back games and or if they uh, end up playing him in the five that we just talked about there. So on the other side, I want to be transparent here, DB. We do have uh, Young Brock Faber coming on. This is a pre-recorded interview. Normally, we don't do it this way. However, we did talk to Faber a couple of days ago in preparation of a uh, an article that I did on LA Kings Insider, where we talked about the uh, college season of Brock Faber, Andre Lee, David Rennick, uh, etc. And so check that article out on, on uh, LA Kings Insider. And here is the full interview now that we did for Kings of the Podcast with Brock Faber. And we'll be back for a live third period.
Welcome back. Second period, and we are joined now by LA Kings 2020 draft pick. He was selected in the second round. Uh, he played this past season with the University of Minnesota and also for Team USA. We'll get into all of that, talking about Brock Faber. Brock, second appearance on the program. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me on again. Again. Well, awesome to be here. Well, uh, I'm sorry for tearing you away from uh, either studying or, or playing Xbox or whatever you guys do there on campus uh, in Minnesota and finding <laughs> some time for this. Thank you for that. All good. All good. Uh, let's just, let's, we need to start with this right away. Uh, coming af- out of the World Juniors, Trevor Zegers had his own uh, bowl at Chipotle. We talked Chipotle last time you were on the, the program. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you end up eating one of the Zegers bowls? I never had a Trevor Zegers bowl. I stick to my same order, same <laughs> order every time, but... Um, I don't, I don't remember quite what was on his bowl, but I'm sure it was, sure it was pretty good. And obviously, you know, with this tournament, he deserves, he does deserve his own bowl at Chipotle. Um, but no, it was, it was, I, I stick to my, I stick to my own bowl. I, I don't really switch things up there. So. Okay. Well, no pressure on you. Just go out and, uh, win another gold medal with team USA next year and maybe uh, have an important role in that, uh, medal. And then you'll have the Brock Faber bowl. How about that? That would, yeah, well, we'll see. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Uh, last we spoke, you were a little bit into your freshman season at the university of Minnesota and you were heading off to uh, camp there or even at camp with team USA and getting ready to go to the world mm-hmm. juniors. Have you had a chance yet? Uh, yet to sort of digest your season and, and more specifically digest going to the world juniors and winning a gold medal. Have you had a chance to even let all of that sink in yet or no, probably have to wait until at least the summer. Uh, yeah. I mean, somewhat, I think, you know, since our season, since our season ended, we took kind of a week or two off and just kind of, you know, sat around, did nothing, just relaxed. Um, and that, that, that kind of gave me time to like, you know, really, really think about, um, World Juniors, but you know the season season especially obviously didn't didn't end out how how we really wanted it to. So um, definitely tough to sit here doing nothing, thinking about that for so long. But um, yeah, all in all, you know it, it was it was a really good year. It was a it was a big year for you know for our team, and obviously with World Juniors too, that was that was a really special moment. So um, I'm so I'm starting to digest it a little bit. Um, you know, still um, still time to digest, but definitely looking forward to to next season. So. When you uh, and, and maybe maybe this question isn't even a fair one to ask, but when a player is normally drafted uh, by an NHL team, a couple days later they come to that respective city. So in this case, you would have come to Los Angeles, you would have participated mm-hmm. in development camp, you would have had a week around the King's staff and all of your fellow prospects and whatnot, and, and mm-hmm. it really allows you to have an opportunity to sort of uh, you know mentally become familiar uh, with the organization. You, you didn't have that. So I'm just curious, mm-hmm. going to the World Junior Camp, even though the focus was on Team USA and the World Juniors and all of that, being around Kaliev, being around Turcot, being fellow Kings prospects, did, did it all connect for you at all at any point and be like, oh yeah, these are these are going to be my teammates at some point. Did it make you feel part of the Kings organization being around those yeah. two guys? Yeah, you know, it did a little bit. Obviously, those, you know, those two are great guys, and you know, winning, winning a gold medal with them, um, you know, you definitely, you definitely got closer with them just throughout the week, you know, throughout, um, throughout the time that we were there. So um, that definitely, you know, brought, you know, it brought some, uh, you know, normality, I, I would say, into into the picture. It, it allowed me to, you know, feel like, you know, the draft just happened, and you know, I'm, you know, I they, these could be my teammates, like you said. So. Um, no, it, it definitely, those two were awesome. They were great to get to know and, um, definitely brought me some, you know, some excitement, you know, for the future. So 
Now, uh, we want to talk a lot about you today, but uh, let's just let's just wrap up on the World Junior part and talk a little bit about Artie and Turcotte. I'd be remiss if, if we didn't get some good stories out of you. Artie is kind of like quietly funny, right? He doesn't talk very much, but mm-hmm. he, he sort of has a really funny side to him, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, he, he's, he's, he's quiet. He's quieter, but, um, you know, it, uh, basically everything he says, it's always, it'll always put a smile on your face. He's, you know, he's a great guy to have in the locker room. Um, he was a great guy to get to know and, um, yeah, definitely, definitely quieter, but super funny. So, and when it comes to Turcotte, I know obviously different position, you're a defenseman, you have your own, you know, area to, uh, to worry about and to cover, but, uh, just mm-hmm. Turcotte's competitiveness, just his willingness yeah. to go out there in any situation and do whatever mm-hmm. it takes to win his drive. Uh, any, any thoughts on that or impressions of that? Yeah. You know, as, as the tournament went on, um, you know, the fans, he, he was, he was the same player throughout the whole tournament. He obviously, he was, he was one of, you know, if not the most important player on our team, um, just, you know, the attitude he brought to the rink every day, um, you know, the, how hard he practiced, how hard, um, you know, he competes every single time he steps on the ice, you know, it, um, throughout the, as the tournament went on, you saw, and, you know, in the bigger games, you know, he, he was always the guy that was there. He was always going. Um, and you know, that really sparked our team. So he was, um, you know, awesome teammate and, you know, definitely, definitely a guy you love to have on your team. So now a couple of times throughout the tournament, I had asked coach Lehman about you specifically, and especially as he was giving you more and more opportunities and and elevating your role within the team. But the thing that he said multiple times, and it always sort of made me chuckle was that you have good feet. It's just not a comment that you hear a lot of coaches say, um, what, what does that mean? What does it mean to you when you hear him say you have good feet? Um, I think uh, when referring to good feet, I think it's just, um, you know, gaps and um, just little closing out plays. Um, I, I think those are um, those those are where, you know, my feet come into play. My my I would say quickness, if you will. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I think he's referring to just like my gapping, my uh, my angling, my striking, things like that. Um, closing out play, plays specifically. Um, so the defensive side um, of, of my game is, is where my where my feet kind of um, take over. So, And, and if you heard an, uh, a previous coach ever put it in those terms, that you have good feet? Yeah, I, I, yeah I've heard uh, my, my coach, Nick Four at NTDP, he, he always talked about my feet. Coach Appert always talked about my feet. Okay. Um, it, it's yeah, it's definitely not common though, but I, but I've heard it. So. Okay. Well, I'm going to try to sound cool. So I'm going to put it in my scouting report on you. We're putting the prospect <laughs> okay. rankings out here uh, very soon. So I'll have to put in there. You have good feet. Just, you know, want to, want to keep up with those, uh, with those coaches. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, back to Minnesota here for just a few minutes. Um, you, the adjustment period, I'm just curious about it, right? You, you guys were getting on a roll. Uh, you had scored your first goal. I'm talking about right before the World Juniors. You know, the, the team was okay. starting to build some momentum. You're working your way up the rankings. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, number one team in the country, I think, at that point. You guys had gone on a, a little bit of a, of a winning streak, a hot streak. Uh, and then the World Juniors come, and, you know, it seems like half the team uh, from the Gophers ended up playing in the World Juniors. And so when you guys came back from the tournament, you're on such a high winning the gold medal. What, what was the adjustment yeah. period like to try to get the college season back on track for, for the team? Yeah, you know, it was definitely, um, you know, for us three getting back, obviously um, they gave us a couple of days off um, just to, rela- to relax, rest, you know, think about just kind of what happened, to soak it all in, you know, as much as we could. Um, and then, you know, 
by the time we got back to the rink, the guys were obviously so well welcoming. The coaches were also welcoming, and um, you know, ever since um, ever since like the start of the season, and ever since we were kids, frankly, it's you know, there's always been one goal, and that's you know, to win a national championship with the Gophers for all three of us, and. Um, you know, I think just, you know, getting back on the ice and practicing with them, it, it, it was easy to kind of dial it right back in and, um, you know, all, you know, understand what, what we wanted to, to come from, you know, those practices and the next games and, you know, this season. So um, it was definitely tough. You know, obviously it would have been, would have been fun to soak in the, the gold medal a little bit more, but, um, you know, at the same time, it was, it was, it, was a, it wasn't too bad of an adjustment just because, um, you know, we all, we all had the, the same thing in mind. Um, ever since we were kids, so and and so many other teams in college hockey uh, had to deal with you know protocols and COVID and, and scheduling rescheduling of games, cancellations of games. You mm-hmm. guys were basically able to avoid most of that all season until late February. That series with uh, Penn State that was postponed. Yeah, what was going through your mind at that point? Was it like, oh no, you know, here we go. Now we're involved in this as well, or or were you guys able to sort of block it out and and, and sort of move on very quickly? Yeah, uh, you know those those were the second to last. Uh, that was our second to last series, mm-hmm. I believe. Yes. Um, and you know, I it it was it was all they had. Their team had COVID, and we hadn't traveled there yet. And our team was our team was COVID free, thankfully. So, um, yeah, it was it was tough though. Obviously, that those those were two really big games because you know if you think about it, if you look at um, we lost the Big Ten regular season to Wisconsin by. Um, not much at all. If we would have won one of those games, if we were able to go and win one of those games, um, we would have we would have won Big Ten regular season. So that's stung, and we knew that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's you know it is what it is. That's sure. you know Big Ten Big Ten championships. Those are those are super important to us. Those are awesome. But um, at the same time, we like I said, had one goal in mind, and that was to to win the national championship. So um you know I, we we just kind of we we kept it dialed in we you know practiced it was a normal week we practiced on the weekend and um then we were right back at it next week uh preparing for michigan so um it was it was definitely tough it was you know it's an adjustment but um it's you know kind of one of those years where, where you gotta you gotta you know have the have the mindset it is what it is you know keep keep battling through so yeah, Coach McClellan has talked about that here in Los Angeles, even uh, all the way back to training camp. Just like, hey, whatever you think you know, you know, you don't know, and just be prepared for anything exactly. and, and roll with the punches. Yep. So uh, you get through that week, then you have Michigan, like you said, to wrap up the end of the season. You go into the mm-hmm. Big Ten uh, tournament. You guys uh, play a couple overtime games against Michigan State and Michigan, and then the big game, uh, the championship game against Wisconsin. Was that sort mm-hmm. of, I'm, I'm guessing it was kind of in the back of your mind of like, hey, you know, we missed out on the, the regular uh, season championship, but now this is for oh, yeah. the, the tournament championship and we're playing Wisconsin. I would imagine that would uh, give you guys some extra motivation in that one. Oh, yeah. You know, obviously every time every time you step on the ice against Wisconsin, it's always, um, it's always one of those games that's, you know, been marked on the calendar for a while. And um, we were thankful. We were thankful to get them in the championship. You know, obviously they're a great team. Um, you know, they battle us really well all season. and. Um, you know, I think it, it was, it was, we definitely did have lots of extra motivation because, uh, you know, we, we know what we missed out on. And, um, so yeah, we all, we obviously all took it personal and, um, it was, it was a really fun game. It was, a, it was a close game, but, you know, thankfully we came out on top. So, uh, you mentioned not, uh, sort of ending the season the way that you wanted, obviously, uh, referring to going into the frozen four, winning a national championship. Do you take any solace in the fact that, 
coming into the season, uh, with all due respect, I say this, the Gophers mm-hmm. really weren't expected to win the championship mm-hmm. this year. This was sort of a rebound or a rebuild year with so much talent coming in. And they're sort of already predicted to be uh, at the top of the standings for next season. Do you take any solace in that? That like, hey, this this wasn't supposed to be our year, so it's okay. We we had a good year, uh, and and we're poised for a successful season next year. Yeah, no, obviously it's you know the Gophers, um, you know playing for the Gophers. You you know uh, ever since you know Gopher hockey's been a thing. It's Gopher hockey's always been one of, if not the best team in the country. Um, you know, for lots of years. And then obviously we had a, we had a little down period um, here the last, you know, what is it? 10 years. And um, maybe not even that much, but um, I definitely, definitely something that, um, you know, we can look back on and um, learn from, but um, obviously going into the season, we, we knew what we had here. Um, and there, you know, a lot of teams, uh, a lot of teams and coaches maybe overlooked that, but um, at the same time, like we, we have a lot of guys, great guys coming back. Um, and we're definitely really excited for next year, but, um, de- yeah, this is definitely, we can learn from this. We can, you know, I, it's hard to sit with because we were all, you know, all so competitive, but, um, at the same time, this is good for us. It was, it was definitely a step in the right direction. And, um, you know, hopefully next year we can just take another step and keep taking steps throughout the years and, um, you know, bring go for hockey back. So now for you personally nominated big 10 defenseman of the year. I would imagine coming into the season as a freshman, not even really sure of what your role was going to be playing for such a, a prominent program, even in your wildest dreams, you probably didn't guess that you were or, or, or daydream about being nominated your freshman season. Did you? No, you know, I, not, not, not really. And, you know, I think that's, um, you know, for me, it's more specifically, I was looking at, you know, what I could do, um, you know, to help the team and, um, you know, I'm thankful to, to be, you know, I was thankful to be up for that. And, you know, obviously, if you look at this list, there's two other great defensemen and there was plenty of other great defensemen um, that could have gotten that, including, you know, a few guys on, you know, the Gophers. So, um, yeah, no, definitely, definitely so thankful to, to, to be up for that award. But um, at the same time, it, you know, it couldn't have been done without coaches. It couldn't have been done without my teammates. Um, but, yeah, no, I was I was more focused on, you know, doing what I could do to, to help the Gophers, you know, to help the Gophers win a national championship, not um, not necessarily individual awards. So, Brock, you, you're 18 years old. You sound like a grizzled veteran already saying, <laughs> uh, you know, thanks to my teammates, I couldn't have done it without the coaches. It's like an Oscar, uh, an Oscar winning speech you're giving here. Uh, take, you know, take a lap, my friend. Take a bow. You had an outstanding year. I mean, you won a gold medal. You nominated for defenseman of the year. Um, how about this? What, what does it say about you as a player that your roles sort of keep increasing, right? Like you might have expected to come in and play a prominent role for the Gophers, but most people wouldn't have expected you to basically be on the top pair as a freshman at such a prominent Mm -hmm. program, like I said. And then with Team USA, you know, you came in, penciled in, projected in to be sort of in one of the lower pairs, and it was a couple games in, and Coach Lehman basically is already saying you're one of his top defensemen and you played a very important role uh, for, for USA throughout the tournament. What does that say about you this season being able to continue to get an increase in your in, in your roles with these various teams? Yeah, you know, I think that's just, um, I think that, you know, says a lot about the, the way I try and play. I think, um, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm never going to be a super, super flashy, you know, I'm never going to be a super fat, flashy player, but, um, you know, I, I take pride in the things that mean, that, that matter most. And I think 
um, you know, that's the defensive side of the game and that's helping and contributing any way I can offensively. And, um, you know, I think every, every team that I play for, I, you know, it, it's, it's, it's always, it's always a team first mentality with me. It's always um, doing anything I can, like I, like I mentioned previously to help the team win. And, um, you know, I think, like I said, uh, that really kind of, um, kind of sums up the way I play just, you know, maybe stepping in as, as a lower end guy, but, you know, doing the things that matter most that, um, you know, when, 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 you know, in the biggest games, um, that maybe, you know, help me, help me play a bigger role towards, towards the end of whatever it is, a tournament, a season, um, a year career. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's, it's just the way I play for sure. When you, can you analyze your game at all? Like when you think back to where you were a year ago, pre-draft, mm-hmm. pre-being at Minnesota, pre-World Juniors, when you think about Brock Faber's game then versus now, how have you improved? What are some of the areas that you feel that you're much better at? Yeah, I think um, obviously, you know, I, defensively, I, I, I um, am still working on just, you know, better gaps, smarter plays offensively, things like that. And um, on, the offensive, on the offensive side of things, I think I'm, I'm starting to take over um, take over more, uh, control game more, have the puck on my stick more, um, not just make, make defensive plays, but, um, also make plays that lead to, to offensive plays or offensive chances or whatever it is. So, um, you know, I think, uh, I think last year, you know, at this time it was, you know, I, I was still young. I was still, um, still feeling out the, the defensive side of, uh, you know, the game, but mostly just like, um, from then to now, I think it's just the, the biggest step I've taken is um, being able to to make plays offensively. Um, obviously, and I still want to build on those things. I think next year is going to be a, a super fun year for me. I'm excited to, you know, you know, get to work this summer and, um, you know, hopefully become you know even better next year. So, so I guess the next uh, well, well, we'll we'll split it up. I was going to say it's a two parter. We'll just split it up. Um, nerves or thoughts there's a good chance uh, everyone's hoping that development camp will be scheduled this time around so you'll have an opportunity mm-hmm. to come to LA and to spend time at the training facility like we were talking about earlier with all of those fellow prospects have you given any mm-hmm. thought to that you know um what uh, nobody likes to be the new kid in school right so like w- what are your thoughts coming in day one of of that camp with you know 25 other uh, guys that you you know really don't know very much don't don't know uh, very well yeah, it's it's exciting. Obviously, it's all you know. Um, you know the the everyone's referred to it. You know, as a family, it's you know we're all we're all there for the same reason. We're all there to you know hopefully um, put on an LA Kings jersey uh, next year and um, or not next year, just in years to come. You so, scared me there, Brock. Um, I, I I've been no. reporting that you're going back to Minnesota for next year. I thought you no, were breaking yeah, some news here. <laughs> yeah, misspoke. I I am coming back to Minnesota. Okay, good. no, I yeah, just in years to come. Um, hopefully, you know, those, those are going to be teammates, um, uh, you know, a teammate of mine, you know, in the future. So, um, it's definitely exciting. It's definitely, you know, it's, it's another, it's just another step in the right direction. And, um, I'm, I'm super excited to get down there and, um, you know, get, get to feel, feel out the warm weather, you know, get on the ice. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely excited to meet, um, you know, the whole staff and just, you know, meet all the, meet all the guys that, you know, hopefully will, 
throw on a king sweater with me in you know in the future so <laughs> there you go yes in the future uh last in the future yeah <laughs> yes in the future um last question then uh and i guess it is sort of a two-parter would just be uh plans for the summer as you as you look ahead uh besides coming to development camp what sort of from a hockey perspective are you looking to continue to to, to work on and to improve before next year and and do you have any sort of fun things that you have scheduled. I know it's difficult because of all the protocols and COVID and whatnot, but mm-hmm. it is your, it is your downtime. Do you have anything fun planned for the summer? Yeah. So training wise, I just, you know, um, I want to, I want to, you know, get Brock, why, why, the, get... why the heavy sigh? This is supposed to be a fun interview. I d- didn't mean to stress you out there. It's like, oh. no. <laughs> you okay? It's all no. good, man. We're having yeah. fun. Hey, still, it's still early. It's still early. <laughs> still early. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, we don't we don't we don't work out till two here. We have okay. we have plenty of time to sleep in. So. I got you. Okay, go ahead. Uh, no, we uh, yeah, no training wise, just you know keep developing you know the offensive side of my game, my shot, my skating, um, things like that. Uh, through just like summer ice, I'll, I'll have ice what two three times a week, and um, but also just getting in the weight room, you know, getting faster, getting bigger, getting stronger, um, and then you know for fun for fun plans, I think. Um, all I really got is just hanging out with, hanging out with the buddies, hanging out with the, you know, my teammates here and going up to the cabin on the weekends, um, relaxing, um, golf. I'm going to, I'm going to try and start golfing a lot more this summer. Um, but yeah, no, other than that, that's, that's really, that's really all I got. And then development camp, hopefully at some point this summer. So, um, that's, yeah, all I got for, all I got for the summer plans. All right. Well, I have to tell you, Brock, that's uh, two appearances here on Kings of the Podcast. Uh, you received an A for your first visit. I'll give you another A this time around. Solid, yeah, solid please. performance on on two of those uh, t- on your two performances there. And uh, we certainly congratulate you on the gold medal with Team USA and look forward to seeing you here in L.A. for development camp. And uh, can't wait to see you and talk with you uh, more about your future with the L.A. Kings. For sure. For sure. Thank you very much for having me on. Appreciate it. All right, there you go. Brock Faber, rising prospect in the LA King system. We'll be back after the break and talk more about it. The whole damn world is ending, but they're pretending that everything is going to be all right. These are your last days now. Will you stay down or will you rise up? Flowers are blooming, the grass is growing, and it's time to chop the weeds. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can trim up safely and efficiently. I'm talking about your private yard, not the yard in front of your house. Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, have an exclusive offer for our audience. Use code K-O-T-P-N-E-W to get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Join the other 2 million men who trust Manscaped. They're here to make sure you are trimmed and smelling nice. After all, it's time for some spring cleaning. As we've talked about plenty here on Kings of the Podcast, Manscaped has the best tools to get you ready. Manscaped have forever changed the grooming game with their amazing products. They're here to help us, and they're here to help you. Have you heard of their Weed Whacker? This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. No more gross nose hairs flying in the wind. 
They also have the Crop Preserver, their anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. It's starting to get hot outside, guys. Now is the time. You'll also find the Crop Reviver, which is their spray-on toner. will keep you smelling fresh down there, just like spring flowers. And don't forget the new refined cologne signature scent by Manscaped. This stuff is legit and will have you smelling like royalty. Smell good, feel good this spring. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code KOTPNEW at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code KOTPNEW at manscaped.com. It's spring cleaning, baby. Get to it. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. All right, welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, third period. And thank you, of course, to Brock Faber, who uh, was able to join us there and talk a little bit about his success at the World Juniors as well as with the University of Minnesota and uh, a little bit of looking ahead to his time with the LA Kings. And perhaps he'll be in Los Angeles soon, DB, for development camp right after the uh, 2021 NHL draft. That would be exciting, John. Absolutely. Great. Again, great one-on-one with Brock Faber and something to look forward for the future. All right, let's jump through a bunch of headlines here, DB, in the third period. And thank you, by the way, for uh, for acknowledging the interview there. Um, numerology, last night I did tweet out, kind of interesting, on the Kings roster right now, they have an 11, a 22, a 33, a 44, and a 55. Uh, just so that you know, nobody in LA Kings history has ever worn 66. I doubt they will going forward, yeah. but you never know. Um, we have had a couple of players here in Los Angeles that have worn number 77. And then we have had one player who wore 88 and one player who wore 99. But I wanted to this time around, DB, uh, specifically talk about number 55 because there is a good chance. And I don't want to put the cart in front of the horse, but there is a good chance that number 55 will never be worn again by another player. I mean, come on, it's one game in the NHL. But if Quentin Byfield goes on to have the type of career that most people expect of him here in Los Angeles, he could potentially be the final 55 ever. Uh, And he is right now, Dennis, the sixth player to wear number 55. Daryl Williams wore it for the very first time back in 1993, brief time period. The, what I would call or consider the, the more known or more common 55s in LA would be Troy Crowder, Pavel Rosa, Braden Shin, and then also Jeff Schultz. So nobody really wore it, has worn it for any extended period of time. I mean, Pavel Rosa, probably the longest, but still a brief, career in Los Angeles. So QB, he's owning that 55. And uh, Dennis, who knows, a decade or uh, almost two decades from now, we might see that number 55 hanging from the rafters if his career ends up playing out the way that many people expect it to. The young man is only 18 years old. Yeah. And hopefully by the time he's 38, uh, he'll be talking about uh, (laughs) raising the, uh, the 55 to the rafters at Staples Center. Well, if that happens, Dennis, we will have to. I mean, Kings of the Podcast will be long gone by then. Yes. Um, but hopefully, hopefully we'll still be around. But the podcast, will be <laughs> so we will we will have to dig up the uh, the recording of this particular episode where we were talking about just that. Uh, now we were talking about Byfield when we left the first period, and I do just want to wrap up with this, Dennis. The AHL playoffs. This is interesting yeah. because earlier today the American Hockey League put out a press release saying that all of the other divisions were not going to have playoffs this year, which made sense because I believe they had already announced earlier in the season that there would not be a Calder Cup awarded this year. However, the Pacific Division is going to do something that I particularly think is pretty cool. They're going to kind of do like a college hockey uh, conference-type tournament where basically they're going to take all of the teams from the Pacific Division and they're going to play in the playoffs. And so the way this is going to work, there are seven teams in the Pacific Division the top three have kind of separated themselves from the bottom four. So that's kind of nice. The top three teams right now would be Vegas, Bakersfield, well, 
uh, Henderson, excuse Henderson. me, Hen <laughs> sorry, Henderson, Bakersfield and San Diego by way of Irvine. So those three would be the top three teams. And then the other four teams, what they're going to do is they're going to have sort of a play in round. And so uh, they are going to play. They're going to pair off. Right. They're going to take those four. They're going to pair them off into two games, a one o'clock game and a seven o'clock game on May 18th, which I believe is a Tuesday. They're going to play this play in round in Irvine down at Great Park. So you're going to have four teams that are going to play. The winners of those two games are then going to come back the following day in a one game series. And they're going to uh, determine who is the fourth seed. So that's how that's going to work. And then you're going to take you follow me so far. So far, so good, John. Okay, then you're going to take the fourth seed and you're going to throw that team in with the other three teams. And so you'll have four teams left at that point. Call it the semifinals. And the number one seed is going to play the number four seed and the number two seed will play three. And those will be two out of three, uh, best, of, best of three, if you will, series that will be played on the home ice of team one and team two. And then the winners of those uh, best of three series, semifinal series, will then meet in the finals which will also be two of three games, also at the the home of the the team with the best seed, you know, sort of left, right. if you will, remaining in the tournament. So yep. what an improbable run this would be. Take the Ontario Reign, who are in either sixth or seventh position, whether you're talking about points right now or you're talking about uh, points percentage, whatever. They're near the bottom of the standings because of their their dreadful start, but they've played much better of late. What an improbable tournament that would be, Dennis. And we've seen this happen in college hockey where a team comes in and they upset. So they, right. the rain could end up being the fourth seed via the play-in, and mm -hmm. then they could go on. They would have to beat the number one team at that point because right. one plays four. Mm -hmm. They'd have to beat them in a best of three, which would be on the road, and then they would have to go on the road again for the finals. But, man, they, the, the Ontario Reign, I can't even say it with a straight face, Dennis. The Ontario Reign as the 2021 Pacific Division champions would just be, it would be the most 2021 COVID thing of all time. Maybe there could be a KOTP Cup. <laughs> oh, Dennis. And not only that, John, I don't think Daryl Sutter will be busy in May, so maybe you want to call him. Maybe he can come in and talk to the team about what it takes to go from a low C to win a Stanley Cup. Oh, man. Dennis, uh, total side note. I was talking to a, a Calgary reporter recently, yeah. and, and he said to me, yeah, we're already at the point where the rancher, which is what they call him, yeah. where the rancher is saying to us, if you watched the game. Remember those good old days? Oh, oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> Remember the good old yeah. days when you would ask Daryl, any of us would ask Daryl a question, and he would, well, if you were watching the game, you would see that blah, blah, blah. It's like, Sutter, what do you think we've been doing here for the last three hours at Staples Center? We're just shoving our face with popcorn and talking exactly. in between periods? Like, we're not watching the games? We're watching the games, man. Come on. Anyway, um, yeah, that'll be fun. So we, I, I love your idea, though, man. The KOTP Cup. Uh, if the rain end up getting out of the uh, the play-in round, we'll start we'll start pushing that hot and heavy. And uh, that should be a lot of fun coming up. One of designers design a, a, a schematic for the cup. Yeah. I'm on it. Let's do it. I'm all over it. Uh, skipping right along, Dennis. Moving along. Um Let's uh, let's keep. Oh, by the way, I do just want to mention though, in the article I put up on mayorsmanor.com, building on what I said in the first uh, first period, Byfield is expected to rejoin the rain um, at some point here for the for the end of the season, and then he will also, of course, play in the tournament as well. So there will be more games that Quentin Byfield will get here in Southern California beyond just the up to five games he gets at the NHL level. He's going to get some more games in an Ontario Rain jersey. Somewhere in Colorado right now, John Robleski is clapping and jumping up and down with excitement, knowing that he's getting getting QB back to uh, to his lineup. So that's good. Uh, they did win last night, so good on the Ontario Rain. Two more left in Colorado. 
Um, Dennis, the NHL TV deal. I'm, I'm moving along here uh, for the sake of time. We talked about the NHL deal, the new TV deal, this, the, yep. the B package, as they're calling it, because ESPN secured the A package. We were talking on the last program with Turner Sports coming in and securing the B package. TNT, TBS, what does that mean? AEW is on Wednesday. The WWF, or WWE, excuse me, they moved off of Wednesday because they didn't want to compete with AEW. They blamed it on the NHL, who they thought was coming to USA Network on Wednesday nights. It's not happening. Leads to the big question. Will AEW now move off of Wednesday night because Turner is going to cover hockey? I have to tell you, uh, Tony Khan, the head of uh, All Elite Wrestling, AEW, he had the perfect answer, Dennis. Tony Khan, when reached for comment, basically said, hey, man, we have a two and a half year deal left for uh, Dynamite to air on Wednesday nights on uh, TNT. We plan on being there. We love our partnership with TNT. Uh, they are the and he was very honest. They are the prime uh, income source mm -hmm. for this organization. However, um, if for some reason they want to renegotiate the contract and it is in our best interest, um, which basically is code for, hey, baby, if, if you want me to move, you're going to pay me. Uh, that's basically where Tony Khan landed, which I thought was outstanding. Instead of just giving some rhetoric about, you know, whatever, he was honest about it and said, pay me and I'll move. If it's in if it's in my interest, I will move. Dennis, I'm holding out hope. If for no other reason, I'm holding out hope that AEW moves from Wednesday to Tuesday just to watch Vince McMahon's head explode. <laughs> they moved to get away from AEW and then to watch AEW come to Tuesday nights would just make for awesomeness, Dennis. That, that would be fantastic. And yeah, Tony Khan, it's, it's like a player who wants to get his jersey number back from another player. What's it going to cost you? <laughs> there you go. A Rolex. <laughs> Let's go. Yes, AEW is a brand new, uh, you know, a, a project. So they're only a couple years into the, into this. So you know, they right. they they're not as married to Wednesday night as say like Monday Night Raw is, Raw which has is, been an institution yeah. for several decades sure. now. So uh, the idea of moving AEW probably is something that doesn't keep Tony Khan up at night. And heck, if you're gonna back up a Brinks truck to his driveway to get him to move off of Wednesdays, uh, I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will listen and entertain the idea. So basically, the uh, the moral of the story here, or the end of the story is that this is to be continued, Dennis. Uh, yep. As far as Tony Khan is, con is concerned, it is theirs until uh, another deal is reached that will then have some subsequent dominoes to come with it. So that's, that's where we are. Business is done, John. Let's go. <laughs> that's, it is how business is done, and I, I love it. It's great. Yep. Um, so moving right along, a uh, couple of other key highlights here. Um, Martin Chromiak, he was the European prospect of the Kings drafted last year in the middle rounds, and uh, he came over, signed a deal with the uh, Ontario Reign AHL contract. It's not his entry-level deal. He quarantined for a week. He did travel with the team uh, and is in Colorado. He was a healthy scratch for the game yesterday. It remains to be seen if he will get into any of those games. But in talking to a couple of people connected to the Reign, here's what I'll tell you. They were very impressed with the guy who showed up at their training facility. Great. They said, this is not some doughy sort of uh, you know young player that showed up, which is very common for kids that are fresh out sure. of the draft, right? right? They get there, even Dowdy, right? The best player, you know, defensively in the Kings history, you know, he took a lot of criticism and he, when he showed up, uh, they're saying, Hey, this kid, it does not look like a typical doughy draft pick. Uh, he's very chiseled. And it sounded a lot like when Kyle Clifford showed up here, he, he had that man body that Mark Hardy used to talk about. Uh, Chromiak has that man body. So um, they're very impressed with him and looking forward to uh, potentially finding a way to work him into the lineup here over the final. I think it's eight games left on the rain schedule. That would be great, John, if they could do that. 
I wanted to end with this today, Dennis. Uh, it circles back to something, that, uh, a name that we talked about in the first period, and that is Ian LaPerriere. Uh, and it has, you might say, well, how, how does that fit into today's LA Kings team? Curtis McDermott has been a player that um, has been talked a lot about on this program, on Twitter, by fans, et cetera. And, you know, in talking with somebody recently, there was an interesting um, sort of perspective that they brought to this conversation on Curtis McDermott. And it was, look, McDermott has earned the right in the eyes of Todd McClellan. They were speaking on for McClellan, if you will, but he's earned the right to play those minutes. He um, he put the time, energy and effort in last year. Uh, he improved dramatically in his in his game last year. And that is true. He, he was the talk of the team last year in terms of the development. Now you could tell, you could say that maybe his game has regressed this year, you know, regardless of where you land on that debate, that's not the point. He's earned the right. It's kind of like Alex, I He's earned the right to play on the top line alongside Andre Kopitar until somebody else comes along and takes his job. Ideally, they would want to play McDermott on that third pair or even as a seventh defenseman. But when he gets additional minutes, it's because he's earned the right to do that. And nobody else has basically come in and taken that job. So while they've seen guys like Strand or Clegg or Willannon or, or Wallanen, Willannon, whatever, and different guys come in and play some games in small sample sizes, they've liked it. But uh, there still is something there with Curtis McDermott um, that they like. And at the same time, he's very well liked by his teammates. And the 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 comparison that was sort of given to me was uh, Ian LaPerriere. There is a player who was loved by his teammates and early in his career was more of a grinder. He wasn't he wasn't the best player on the ice and uh, sort of the same thing with with uh, with McDermott being around teammates from what I've been able to gather here over the last week. They really like it. They feel a sense of calm and comfort when Dermy is in the lineup um, for obvious reasons. But then why do you play Lemieux and McDermott the same night? That is the real question there. I think that's a really good question, Dennis, because there was a thought that uh, getting Lemieux, one of the reasons was that it would give um, uh, Todd McClellan the opportunity to play McDermott less and you could still have sort of that intimidation factor or that same sort of role within the team. Uh, my only explanation for that uh, would be this. When talking to Todd McClellan on the Zooms about Lemieux, he basically has said, I don't want to use the word struggling because that wasn't his quote, but he's he's searching. Lemieux is searching to find his role, to find his identity, to find where he fits. And, you know, let's be honest. Um, some players, when they come to a new organization, it just fits like a, a hand in a glove, right? It's like right. first shift, first period, first game. It all clicks. Everything makes sense. It's like the guy's been here forever. And for other guys, it does take a couple of games, sure. a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a full season, or not whatever it is. What's that? Or not at all. Or not at all. And that's true. And, um, you know, Brendan Lemieux, uh, who knows? Maybe he wasn't even expecting, you know, to be traded. Maybe he didn't, uh, you know, maybe that wasn't what he was thinking. And so it kind of took him by surprise. We also don't know what he's dealing with, if anything, you know, um, off the ice that that is, you know, perhaps uh, causing, you know, more strain or stress related to the to the trade. So I would say patience. Let's give him time to sort of settle in and figure out where it goes from here. But Lemieux has not. I mean, I think I don't think it's a criticism. I think it's an, an honest statement. Lemieux has not made his mark on this team yet. No, no, no John. But what about um, back to McDermott? What about the theory about and we used it with Jeff Carter when he got traded? like McDermott's blocking younger, more talented defensemen from playing time. So just your thoughts on him being utilized as opposed to some other options they have in the lineup. 
I wouldn't lay that squarely at the feet of McDermott because you could say the same thing for other players. You could say Ole Mata, right? There were people that wondered, why did you go out and trade for Ole Mata when you had all this talent coming up? That one at least made a little bit more sense because they needed to have somebody who met the experienced player qualification for the expansion draft, right? But you could rest Ole Mata and you could play Kale Clegg more. Uh, You could rest any number of guys. Uh, They did rest although it was due to injury or whatnot, but they didn't rush Matt Roy back. They didn't rush Sean Walker back. Right. They allowed those guys, you know, rest and recovery time period earlier in the year to give Strand an extended run of games, to give Kale Clegg an extended run of games. Um, these guys are both very serviceable NHL defensemen, uh, so we'll have to see where that ends up. Uh, if they don't end up uh, having a spot here in Los Angeles, they are viable alt- uh, alternatives or options, I would say, in the expansion draft for a team like Seattle uh, sure. to, be, to be able to pick up either of those players. So, you know, what team in the NHL doesn't want more young defensemen? Uh, a, a team, that, a bad team, a team that isn't thinking properly other than that? Yeah, of course you do. Yeah. So um, I just wanted to give a little little bit of insight there because it does offer a different perspective. Sure. And um, look, somebody tweeted this uh, a couple of months ago uh, or a couple of weeks ago, excuse me, when people coming down on McDermott. And I don't I apologize. I don't recall who the person was that tweeted this to me, though. And they said to, to somebody else who was replying, they said, hey, uh, it's a team game. It all doesn't fall on one player. And that person is absolutely correct. Uh, right. It, you know, with with McDermott in the lineup. Um, he's getting, you know, what, five to eight minutes. Maybe he's getting 12 minutes a night. Yeah. You, you still have plenty of other players at forward and defense who uh, have to be responsible, who have to chip in and do their part. Um, they have to do their part on the power play. They have to do their part on the PK, uh, which are both areas typically that McDermott is not involved in. So um, it doesn't land at the feet of McDermott. And in surveying some of the players, they really appreciate having him on the ice and playing playing with him more so than uh uh, than having him out of the lineup. So, and that makes sense. There's a comfort level that that exists. I mean, fighting might be out of the league, but DB having Curtis McDermott on your bench, I, I would imagine that uh, it certainly gives you a sense of security uh, compared to not having him on the bench. Yeah, for sure. And there's, there's no nonsense, no rats running. They call them rats. There's no rats running around the ice uh, with McDermott on the bench for sure. Uh, it's probably too bad that they didn't get to play the Calgary Flames this year, not just because Daryl Sutter, or not only because Daryl Sutter didn't get to come, but man, uh, who doesn't love a good Kachuk Doughty, other than Drew Doughty, who is really tired of talking about it, who doesn't love a good Calgary Flames uh, LA Kings tilt? For sure. <laughs> a lot of fun, Dennis. Uh, great program today. Thanks again to Brock Faber for joining us. Uh, fun and spirited conversation uh, related to Quentin Byfield. DB, thanks again for asking Brian Burke the all-important theoretical theoretical question uh, about young players and whether uh, it's worth it to burn their entry-level contracts. Uh, It's been a lot of fun, dude. Absolutely, Jake. All right, episode 33. uh, We are on the hunt now to see if we can find Willie Mitchell, the ultimate guest for episode 33. We'll be back soon, everybody.
lives of 